welcome to the second episode of Arna Law's Masterclass podcast on the importance of making trust with Arna Law managing partner Kamala Naganand. This episode covers the rights and duties of trustees and beneficiaries, examples of living trusts and testamentary trusts, setting up a private trust and dissolving a trust. We hope you find this episode as informative as our last one and stay tuned for the discussion ahead. concept of a public trust right so public trusts are usually governed by the charitable and religious trusts act 1920 the religious endowments act 1863 and the Chari- charitable endowments act 1890 there are also specific state statutes right like the Ma- maharashtra public trusts act so each state has also in some instances created specific acts to deal with specific situations in their states Now, public trusts can be recognized either as religious or charitable trusts. Now, public trusts are usually for the larger purpose, right? They are not set up for an individual's benefit, but they are set up for things like charity, promoting education, medical relief, any religious temples, churches, mosques, right? For religious purposes, a public trust can be crea- created through the execution of a registered trust deed or by way of a will. now the registration of the public trust created through an instru- uh, through an instrument not being a will is compulsory so suppose you create a public charitable trust it has to be registered under the registration act most cases a public trust is irrevocable and it is perpetual unless it is for a specific purpose and that should be clearly enumerated by the person setting up the charitable trust that it is for a specific purpose as well as highlight the specific time period for which a public charitable trust is created now we have a very interesting situation that we're dealing with right now there was a foundation that was created about in the early 1980s they had two indian trustees and it was for the public beneficiaries for the public they ended up having a wide trust deed that they created uh, it included medical relief education a whole bunch of things they finally started a school the school now is doing fabulously and the two trustees made sure that it was irrevocable they also ran they ran it so well that they got fcra compliance atg 12a now the issue that they are facing is that they are growing old and they want to ensure that the school benefits from the trust because they built up a sizable corpus the school's reputation is fantastic and is doing very well and they are now retired but very hands on in running the school so their question is they have two children both of them are professionals in the us they have no intention of returning but the parents want to make sure that the children participate in the in the running of the trust so so he said how do i ensure that my children become trustees now the trust act very clearly says that non residents cannot be trustees because if you are a trustee you have to take care of the day to day running of the trust which means signing documents signing uh, all the compliances make sure that the organization is run well and so what they are now looking to do is to see how their children who are settled out of india are going to be able to be actively involved in the running of the trust but be resident elsewhere therefore when you do create a trust please ensure that firstly 
जो मेक पीपल रिस्पॉन्सिबल विद इन द फैमिली एंड सी लिसन दिस इज वॉट आई एम स्टार्टिंग डू आई हैव योर बाई आई यू गोइंट टू हेल्प मी कंटिन्यू टू रन इट इफ नॉट इन मोस्ट केसेज वॉट वी डू इज वी एनश्योर दैट इट इज फॉर अ लिमिटेड पर्पज और अ लिमिटेड पीरियड ऑफ टाइम सो रिसेंटली दर वॉज अ फैमिली गेम एंड द हजबेंड एंड वाइफ दे सर लिसन वी हैव इनअप मनी आर चिल्ड्रन डोंट नीड एनीथिंग सो एनी सर्पलिस दैट वी मेक वी वॉन्ट टू पुट इट इन टू And we want to structure our giving through this charitable trust very clearly. So we want to have proper uh, systems and processes. We want to make sure we give for the right causes. And at no point should we say no. We don't have the money to give if someone were to come. So we had created a two crore deposit, and we are starting running of this trust. So the question there was to say, but we don't want to burden our children with the running of this organization post our demise. so what they what we then suggested to them was that they make it for the purposes of charity so it was a charitable trust it was for their lifetime so if the husband passes on before the wife then it was it would continue till the wife is alive now post whoever stays on longer the trust would be dissolved and all the monies would go to a larger trust who had been identified and sounded to say listen this is what we are thinking will you be okay taking this money and so they said yes so what they then did was create the trust it was for their lifetimes for the purposes of charity and they would continue to run it but post their demise once both of them are not there it would go to that larger organization so that way the children are not burdened with it see nowadays children are all over the world so for them to come back to take property itself is a big problem in terms of running a charitable organization there are a lot of compliances needed so you should be very clear as to the purposes for which it is being run and that there is perpetuity right that it will continue if not do it for your lifetime do it for a specific purpose and then close it another family came to us recently where again they had started a public charitable trust and what was interesting in is is that each successive generation right had started a trust so there was one grand grandfather's trust one great grandfather's trust one aunt had set up a trust and each one had done it for a specific purpose and so the family came and said listen this is getting very very tedious we're finding it very difficult to run the organizations all separately because each have their own investments their own compliances so then we looked at it and what we suggested to them is getting the permission of the trust with the regulatory bodies and pooling all the trusts into one so what we said is make it just one trust identify the various buckets and continue to give just move all the investments compliances everything into one bucket that way there is only one thing that you need to do one easily managed trust would be much much easier and so that's what we ended up advising them and that's what they followed now the essentials of creation of a public trust are again first that a declaration on the part of the author to say why is it that he wants to do it what do we want to do with this then transfer of ownership of the trust property and then enumerate the purposes for which it must be uh, set up and finally the author who sets up must be of sound mind now there are whole bunch of duties of a trustee now you must have you know some of you or many of you would have been asked to be a trustee on various organizations right what does that mean so i will now take you through some of the duties of a trustee firstly you are bound to fulfill the purposes of the trust and to follow the directions of the trust 
that the author says. Secondly, to defend all claims against the title to the property. So if there were to be any pro pro property title issues, you should be able to go to the necessary lawyers, take the necessary action to protect the interests of the trust's property. Third is to take measures to prevent act destructive of trust property, right? And finally, keep clear, accurate accounts of the trust property for the sake of the beneficiaries. Another very important is to ensure that the trust property is properly maintained and cared for and that the assets and the investments are all managed well and that all the monies that need to go to the beneficiary reach the beneficiary. Finally, to complete with all, you know, do all the compliances and maintain all accounts for the purpose of records and finally ensure any liabilities to third parties are met. You also have to ensure that the wishes of the author, as the author has highlighted, should be in consistency with the actions taken of the trustee in the best interest of the beneficiary. The trustee can also be held liable in case of non-compliance or breach of any of the trust's uh, various requirements. The trustee do not use any of the property for his own benefits but must ensure that the trust is run smoothly and the trust property is only used for the benefits of the trust. Finally, to invest the trust properties in securities and not take too much risk. Now, some of the powers of the trustee is, firstly, he can be reimbursed for any expenses that he bears on behalf of the trust. Of course, you can set reasonable limits and, and standards to say it is only for reasonable purposes. Now, if a person has committed breach of a trust, right? then the trustee has to write, has the right to indemnify himself against such gains of the person. Also, the trustee is entitled to have the accounts of the trust administered from time to time. The trustee is also vested with certain discretionary powers when it comes to managing the trust property. And if the trustee does not exercise discretionary powers, then in good faith, then a judge on the original jurisdiction in the city civil court can be asked to ask the trustee to leave. Finally, if any property is being held by the trustee for a minor, the trustee should pay the guardian whatever amounts that have been highlighted as part of the amounts to go towards the minor's upkeep. Beneficiary also has certain rights. So some of the rights of the beneficiary are, firstly, the right to the rents and profits of the property as per the terms of the trustee. Now, this might not come directly to the beneficiary, but it should definitely go into the accounts of the trust. Beneficiary also has the right to compel the trustee to perform or to abstain from performing a particular task if he so believes to be in breach of the trust. He has the right to inspect and take copies of the trust deed, title documents, trust property, verify accounts. He also has the right to file a suit for execution of the trust if no trustee has been appointed. The beneficiary are also entitled to have the intention of the author specifically executed by the trustee. And finally, the right to ensure that the protection of the trust property and the right to a proper trustee is clearly enumerated. Now, we had another example here where, again, there was a family that was in Bangalore and uh, they had a mentally disabled child. Now, that mentally disabled child was adopted and uh, the son lived abroad. So he was a professional, he was not coming back 
The question then was, who would become the trustee to look after the best interests of this child? Because if he, if she is disabled, she is not of sound mind. Therefore, she is not entitled to own property. Therefore, she might be the beneficiary, but she cannot perform any of these rights or she cannot claim any of these rights. Therefore, what they decided was that their house they would keep put in their will and, and say that if something were to happen to him or his wife, all their assets would be put into a trust. And the trust would have their house, which was to be kept during this child's lifetime, to be used for her to stay. There was also certain provisions made with regard to their investments to say that any investments that they made would then be all the monies would be used for her upkeep and for her benefit and that the son would not get anything. Post the demise of the daughter, the property would go, uh, the trust would be dissolved and all the monies would go to their son. If their son was not there, it would go to their grandchildren. So this is how they ensured. And what they also did was they made sure that since the, the son was not in India, he couldn't be a trustee. So they brought in their nephew who was based in India and they spoke to him and he very kindly agreed to be the guardian of this child in case something were to happen to the parents. And so he was the guardian and he was a trustee uh, along with their son. And so the the nephew would take care of the day-to-day -day affairs of the trust and the son would just be a trustee and oversee everything. Finally, dissolution of a trust, right? A trust can be dissolved when the purpose is complete or when the purpose becomes unlawful. If it is for a prescribed period of time, say it is, you know, for 30 years of the life of the child, post 30 years, trust to be dissolved and all profits and uh, benefits to be handed over to the child. Or when the purpose becomes impossible. Suppose there's a trust property and it's destroyed. In such an instance, the trust cannot continue. So the property, the land would be sold and the trust, the, the monies would be handed over to the beneficiaries. And finally, when there's an express reason to revoke the trust, the trust can be closed. We have two questions. So the trustee and the beneficiaries were the same in your example? No, no. So in this case, the trustee was the son. The beneficiary was the child who was mentally disabled. But that's where it ended. Post the demise of the child, the son would be the beneficiary, yes. But that was not put in the trust deed. That was put in the will. So that was the way we kind of made sure that the son was not the trustee as well as the beneficiary. But but the reason for setting up the trust, he would not be considered a trustee because the reason for setting up the trust was the best interest of the, the, the child. A next question is, what happens if a trustee of a private trust subsequently becomes a non-resident? Yeah, so again, in this other case where I gave you the example, if there is an NRI, you will have to bring on one or two people who are local who will then have to take care of the day-to-day -day functioning of the trust. So, even in a private trust, you cannot have non-resident Indians. You will have to make sure that you will have a resident trustee who will be able to sign off on your bank, documents, checks, everything. And, and that takes me to the next point where you have trust trusteeship companies today who can help you with this. They are professional trustees uh, who act as trustees for trusts. And these are people who have no interest in the assets of the trust. And they are there for a particular fee. And uh, and so a corporate trustee is generally a third party who will then provide trusteeship services for a fee. 
So some of the examples uh, of trusteeship companies are the IDBI Trusteeship India Limited, Warmond, which used to be uh, Merrill Lynch Trust Services, which then became Warmond. And then there's another company called Beacon Trusteeship Limited. Again, all of them are happy to act as trustees for a, for a fee and to perform the various roles. So uh, if you have a private trust and if there is an NRI, then it's better to make sure that you have somebody local before you get into any compliance related issues. Now, an irrevocable trust, right, can be revoked with the consent of both the author and the beneficiary, but there have to be clear reasons for doing so. Like in the case where I gave you uh, an example when there were five or six trusts. So we didn't revoke all, all of them. We bunched them all together and made it one irrevocable trust. The purposes were a combination of all the other previous trusts. And so the monies that went, that monies that came once we uh, put all the trusts together, continue to go for those specific purposes. Now, you know, just to give you some examples of living trusts versus testamentary trusts. A living trust is one which is made during the author's lifetime, whereas a testamentary trust is part of a will. So once the will is set up, then you will create a trust. An example of this I can give you is that an HNI recently we worked with drafted a two trust deeds for his two daughters. And uh, he made it a part of his will where he said that in case something were to happen to me or my wife, the, the this is the trustee that would be followed. He spoke to members of his family who would then become the trustees and the deeds would come into force upon him and his wife passing on. But if both of them were alive, then the will, uh, then the trust would not be set up. Second is in living trust by mandating in the trust deed, right, the uh, that the trust uh, that the trustee must obtain the agreement and concurrence of the settler. Uh, the settler can exercise control over his uh, over the assets of the trust. So an example of that is uh, there was a gentleman who wanted to had moved money out through LRS, and uh, he said, uh, "Listen, I'd like to make sure that uh, I create a trust for my children." And so he created trust in a foreign jurisdiction and moved the LRS money into that trust. He then got a trusteeship company to become trustees and uh, they only signed off on his recommendations of what to invest in where after speaking to his investment advisors. So while he was the settler, he took a very active role as a trust, uh, uh, not as a trustee, but advising the trustees on how he wanted the monies to be invested. The next point is that preferable for those individuals who prefer that the trust terms must remain confidential Right, to have a, a living trust because once you create the trust there's always things that you can put in it whereas in the case of a testamentary trust if it's part of a will and the will is registered then it becomes a public document finally some of the reasons for setting up trust some of the reasons people choose to set up trust is that they want to make sure that they get their succession planning right they want to ensure that family members are provided for especially the very young very um, and, and people who have disabilities or special needs or have, you know, other life situations which they want to protect. It also helps to prevent misappropriation of trust funds and ensures that, you know, there is very clear demarcation of what the funds are to be used for. Sometimes people want to diversify assets and move them out of a country into various other jurisdictions. That is an option. It's also for tax planning purposes, people think of using it. But the tax planning angle has become less and less because what we're seeing is that when you as an individual put money into a trust, it, there is a very clear link between you and the trust. 
unless of course you think of moving it to a jurisdiction out of India. And finally, if people want to give with a specific purpose of charity and they want to regularly do charity, then people are looking at setting up charitable trusts and ensuring that they keep giving regularly. I'd like to next take you through some of the concepts of setting up an offshore trust where basically an offshore trust is a trust which is not in India. It might be set up by an Indian resident, but it has non-resident trustees because usually you would have to have a trusteeship company who would then be the trustees. The beneficiaries can be local, can be usually under the Foreign Exchange Management Act, a person resident in India is permitted to hold currency and property out of India. But very often, you have to be clear as to what the purpose is. As I told you, if you create a trust, you cannot do an overseas direct investment into a trust. You would only have to then move it through the LRS route. Unless, of course, you've sold an asset or an entity out of India, you're earning out of India, you have companies out of India. The money from that can definitely go into an offshore trust. Under the LRS, you are only allowed to move 250000 a year per member, per, per, per individual in a family. So if you are a member of four or five, then you are able to move only that amount out. So you can move it individually and open separate accounts and move the money out. And then from that account, you can then move it into a trust. But LRS, again, if you have to move money through LRS, a trust in India cannot move money out through LRS, right? It will have to be done by an individual. Only an individual does LRS. So you would have to open an account here move the money out, you'll have to open an account in the jurisdiction that you need to uh, move the money to. Then you would have to set up a trust and open an account for the trust and then you would move money from that jurisdiction into the trust. Finally, transfer of assets right, or income to offshore trust has been done but is, a sub is again subject to exchange control laws, tax implications. So it's very important to speak to your investment advisor as well as your tax planner to get more information on the tax angle of this. So I think Soam has a question where he says, is there a recommended minimum portfolio size to set up a private trust? No, there isn't. You can start with even 5,000 rupees, set up the trust. And uh, it really depends for what purposes that you're using, going to be using the trust. So I think uh, the intent has to be clear. Thank you very much for your patience. Thank you for listening to our Masterclass podcast on the importance of trusts. You can find all our other podcasts on various topics of Indian and international law on our website www.arnalaw.com or follow us on our LinkedIn page where we post regular updates. We'll be back with more interesting updates for you soon.